Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Stephen Cole. He's the founder and president of Voice of the People. The website is uh, VOP.org. Um, he's a political psychologist and a director of the Program for Public Consultation, uh, part of the School of Public Policy at the University of Maryland. So we're going to talk about the, the public policy issues that he's been working on. So Stephen, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. If you would, tell me a bit about your background. How did you get interested in the, the issues that you work on today? Well, as mentioned, I'm a psychologist, and I got increasingly interested in the problems that uh, occur between the public and policymakers. I did some studies with policymakers, some interview studies, and found that they were making a lot of assertions about the public that they were very confident about. When when I studied it up on it, I found that they actually were uh, uh, quite mistaken. And so I started digging deeper into that. And eventually decided that I was going to focus on trying to improve the communication between policymakers and the public so that uh, uh, policymakers could get a better understanding of the public. And it wasn't simply that they tended to think that the public agreed with them. Often they had assumptions that the public did not agree with them when they actually did. So it's uh, and, and they perceived the public as preventing them from doing things that they thought were important and valuable to do. They tended to assume the public had a very narrow perspective about the future, only thought about their pocketbook, you know, just didn't think about the long term. And uh, when, in fact, the, the, the public was quite ready to think in those terms, in you know, a larger time frame and not just in terms of personal self-interest. So what are some of the uh, public policy issues today that you're looking at? Maybe we can delve into them a bit. Well, it's it's quite a wide range. Um, we've uh, we've developed a kind of unique method for for surveying the public because we found early on that the public doesn't. You know, there are a lot of issues that the public doesn't understand very well. For example, we did a survey early on about foreign aid, and we asked, well, how much of the budget do you think goes to foreign aid? And the median estimate was twenty percent of the budget. And then we asked, well, how much do you think it should be? And uh, the median estimate was, well, 10%. I think, uh, uh, pardon me, they thought it was 20%. Uh, we said, how much should be? And they said, how about making it 10%? And I asked, well, how would you feel if it were 1%, which was what the actual number was. And uh, hardly anybody thought that was too much. So what we have been doing is we developed this method where we explain Issues that are foreground in Congress, that are in, in, in that are foreground in congressional legislation, and we give them a briefing on the issue, and then they evaluate arguments pro and con, and all of this content is reviewed by experts for and against the proposal. So, turning to the to your question about what are some of the topics, it's just a very wide range. We just did one recently on abortion, done immigration, we've done criminal justice. 
Uh, we've done ones related to to U.S. foreign policy. You know, the list goes on. Poverty programs, the environment, and uh, energy, and uh, all of these uh, processes that people go through uh, as part of this survey. We call them a policymaking simulation, uh, where we effectively put them in the shoes of a policymaker. And then they get the briefings and the pros and cons, and uh, those are those are all available. You can see them online at the, on the VOP.org site, and then you can see the results. Yeah. Well, what's what does that mean? So, someone is uh, a decision is put in, in front of somebody as if they were a policymaker, and they're given all the uh, what the briefings that a policymaker would get. That's right. That's we're trying to simulate that process. Um, you know, you tend to think that that. Uh, you know, members of Congress are big experts on everything that they they're, they're really not. They maybe there might be a few things, but they so they get the kind of briefing that they might get from a from a staffer and uh, uh, or and then they then they hear arguments, the kind of arguments they might hear on the on the floor of Congress in, in the floor speeches. What do uh, what do people notice about that process? Like, what are they? Is it as they thought it was? Or are they surprised? Like, what are some of the juicy things that came out of that? Well, what's really interesting is that in most cases, they find the pro argument and the con argument convincing. It's like they're saying, oh, yeah, that's a good point. And then they hear the other side, oh, yeah, that's a good point, too. Now, they, that doesn't mean they're not able to make a come to a decision or make what we call a recommendation. But uh, um, the, 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 and, and that's somewhat striking to them and interesting to them. Um, when we later get people together in groups, which we have done sometimes, they they talk about it and uh, as being interesting how there are you know there are a lot of nuances and and it's not so simple and uh, uh, and in that context it's often more common that they find common ground too um, that uh, uh, that Republicans and Democrats are really not as different as one imagines. Well. Yeah, I remember years ago, I went for, um, it wasn't jury duty, but there was a case that they were going to test, you know, in front of people that appeared to be like a jury. So I remember sitting there as an auto accident. I heard the plaintiff's argument and I, I said, oh, okay, I'm with them. And then I heard the defense's argument and I felt myself going all the, yeah. the other side. Right. And then I was like, oh, now what do I do? I guess this phenomenon is pretty universal based on what mm -hmm. you described. What are ways to... I mean, what happens then? So what happens to someone cognitively when they've been pulled one way and then pulled the other way? What do they end up doing? And is it the right thing? Well, they 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 are able to make decisions. Their 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 response to the arguments are, is you know somewhat predictive of of how they're going to, to to respond. Some arguments they find more convincing than others, and so on. But uh, so they do come uh, do come to uh, conclusions. And what's interesting is that. If you know, if people just hear one side, if they're in a silo, right, and they're only hearing one side of the issue, they're more apt to to, to polarize. But if they hear both sides, it turns out that they end up finding quite a lot of common ground. In fact, we have now identified uh, 180 policy positions that are supported by uh, a majority of Republicans um, and Democrats. Few of them, one side is says, well, it's, I can tolerate it. But for most of them, a clear majority says that uh, uh, supports that position. So when people see both sides, they, it actually reveals uh, quite a lot of common ground. But is there a um, first arguer advantage or is it 
he who argues last sticks in the mind most, there's got to be some psychological bias based on how arguments are presented. Yes, there's a lot of research on that. It's called the primacy for effect uh, if he, for the first one, but there's also some advantage for the last one you hear. That's called the recency effect. Overall, it's uh, it does tend to uh, it, it, the effect is not real strong. There's sometimes there's a little advantage, a little more advantage for 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 the first one that you hear. But when you go back and forth a few times, that tends to 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 um, get. Before we continue. I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. That's what I mean. Um, So if I hear an argument for and then I hear one against, after that, should I go back and, and, you know, revisit the for and the against back and forth, back and forth a couple more times to reach my decision? Or people, you know, again, I'm not looking down on them. I'm sure I do this too, but are they intellectually parsimonious or even lazy? And they hear one side, you know, each, and they're like, all right, I'll decide now. And if so, does that lead to biased decisions? Well, if you only hear one side, um, that's... No, I mean, you hear uh, just once. I mean, both sides once, I'm sorry, instead of like both sides three times, where there's a recap or a reiteration. Even if you just hear, you know just one pair of arguments the net effect is is not is the the skew there's a slight skew for the you know but the for the uh, first one you hear but it's very slight um and uh, um and and it's not true in every case but when um does anyone know what actually happens to someone when they make their decision um you know let's say i have a bias uh, issue x and i'm i'm pro issue x going in And then Mm -hmm. I get an argument that's also pro-issue X, and then I get one that's anti-issue X. Does the order matter if I have my own preconceived bias going into it? Has that been observed? Well, there's been a lot of research on it, and there's not a very strong, you know, sometimes there is this set of questions, and it produces one effect, and then there's another that produces a different effect. It, It all together, it, it, what, how it all adds up is that as long as you hear both sides, it's uh, uh, they tend to balance each other out, uh, and the order isn't is not does not have an overwhelming impact, and it doesn't have a consistent impact either. So uh, it's something that I, we don't worry about a lot because the 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 the, the effects neg- tend to negate each other. All right, so you, you haven't seen any noticeable impact, whether the person has a bias or the order of arguments, et cetera, right? The order is, is a, oh, obviously, if the person comes in with a strong point of view, that's going to uh, impact their their conclusions, sure. Well, how, how do you think it happens? Like, let's say I'm a, a Democrat in you know the House of Representatives and a bill comes up and I already have not only party allegiance, but, you know, probably an expectation to vote a certain way. I have the past history of how I voted. I have my constituents. 
And then I get both sides of an issue supposedly on my desk from my advisors. Like, mm -hmm. first of all, do I even get both sides of the issue? And then do I look at them or I just say, Hey, just give me the information on this. And my, um, you know, my staff just gives me stuff. They'll know I want to hear. Like, yeah. what do you think actually happens? Yeah. I think that's very common is that members of Congress, um, they, they kind of get their, get their cues from the party leadership. And the and the information comes to them packaged and here's here's where the leadership wants to go. Here's our position on it. And they don't really spend a lot of time deliberating. And one of the ideas that we have is that it's really a good idea for a member of uh, Congress to meet with a representative samples of their constituents so they can hear people talking about both sides of the issue. And that might impact their ultimate decision, but but. Uh, it's also just very important for them to, to to understand better how people look at look at the issue. Well, have you found a a, more, uh, a better way to present an issue to somebody? Like I, you know, I was imagining as you were talking. Again, what if there's an important issue? So I hear argument on one side, I hear argument on the other side, and then maybe I have a third set of people that take up both sides of the debate and they debate it in front of me. So not only have I heard pro and con, but I'm hearing an active debate and watching it happen mm -hmm. with people that are deliberately taking both sides, maybe that would help my decision-making or I don't know. What, what's your thought? I, I think it would. I think it does lead to more nuanced uh, decision-making and people take, con, uh, con, you know, they, they can still make decisions, but it's now they they have a more nuanced understanding of, of, of the different points of view. And there's, I mean, we have sort of because people get information in partisan silos um, much of the time, that has contributed to greater polarization in, in society. And so the more people uh, go into spaces and have experiences where they hear both sides of the issue, the, 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 the less polarized society is going to be. Have you identified a more ideal way for people to consider issues so that the bias is at least reduced? Well, that's what we work on um, to, and, and we also work to, when we develop these, uh, uh, these policymaking simulations, we bring people together from both sides, you know, sometimes even together at, at one table, uh, more often they just review it independently and give us, give, give us in, input. And, 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 and both, uh, both of them have to okay it, you know, in terms of the briefing being accurate and balanced. And the argument on each side being uh, not being misleading or uh, or factually wrong in some way. So the, there's a we the idea is to create a, a, an accurate representation of the discourse of the of the of the debate that's going going on in Congress. And when that happens, when people are fully inside it. They are able to deal with it much better than it is often assumed, and uh, and they are able to come to coherent uh, responses, and and as I mentioned, they do tend more, more to find common ground in that in that context, even on topics that uh, you know you think of as being you know, highly polarized, whether it's immigration or abortion or climate change and so on, what to do about it. So, um, but what if you um what if you did the following? So you had an issue that had a lot of so you had an issue. There's a for, there's an against. You hear both sides. Both sides go away and come up with a plan to address it. Let's say it's like a point plan on each side. Someone goes and, look and finds the commonalities between the two plans 
those are put first and then the differences are put at the end. So I'm just making this up. There's 10 issues, there's sub issues, there's commonality on six of them. So there's three left. Then that's represented back to the computer and the commonalities are shown first on both sides and then the remaining issues of difference are shown. How do you think that would shape how someone decides and do you think that might improve it? Because it strips away, it's not just like A versus B, it's like, okay, there are a lot of commonalities. They both submitted plans. And now this is what's left that's, you know, a differentiator between the two. Well, I can't say that I've done the, 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 the process that you've described. It's somewhat complex. Uh, the one we go through is, 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 is somewhat simpler. But uh, the, you know, uh, people are able to, to deal with competing positions. I mean, that's, that's normal in life. Um, and and they do come to to and, and when they consider both sides, they tend to come to conclusions that tend to be more convergent. Now, I would emphasize that in terms of these kinds of processes, in terms of political process, um, there is enough low hanging fruit. There's enough common ground to build on, and if once those decisions are made that are convergent, the situation tends to change, and then we can deal with other issues as well. So there's a, sometimes there's a tendency to focus heavily on, oh, but there are some areas where we don't have common ground. And uh, so our belief is that if you focus on the areas and you build on the common ground, then things will tend to evolve and other issues can then gradually be, be dealt with. So that, so in terms of the model that you described with, a, I, I, we would tend to. No, that's great. I mean, it, I'm sure it is more complex. I just wonder if, if you think it might be worth an experiment to try that and see how that affects, you know, how, how a committee or an individual decides it might be interesting, you know? So any, any case studies that you can mention of an issue that came up that you guys tried a whole bunch of different, uh, you know, tweaks to it to see how it would resolve or, you know, an issue that you uncovered, I don't know, a, a bias that actually exists in many issues that was only uncovered by examining this one issue. Like, again, any juicy case studies that you can talk about where this process, you know, went forth and interesting things that came from it. Yeah, we just did one recently on abortion and uh, abortion seems like a very polarized um, subject. And uh, and if you ask people, is abortion right or wrong, you get a divided, morally acceptable or immoral, you get a kind of uh, divided response. And if you ask people, should the government allow it or not, then you get a divided response. But when we focus very specifically on policy options, uh, which could be, on one hand, efforts to reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies through uh, birth control and so on, uh, sex education, and also the specific option of criminalizing abortion, we found actually there was a fair amount of consensus, bipartisan, for making efforts to reduce attended pregnancy and to not criminalize abortion, um, so that or, or to only criminalize it in the very in the, very, in the later stages of. And that was even true in in, in states that have recently. Who have recently criminalized abortion from from conception? Another example is immigration. There's a lot of uh, focus on um, um, this concern about amnesty, about the border, and there are other there are debates about that. But it it turns out that 
there is a fair amount of consensus that the large, the millions of people who are here, who are um, who are not uh, um, who are undocumented immigrants, um, that it's not really possible to just you know, expel them, uh, and and it, there's bipartisan support for. Uh, in some way assimilating them, but there's also concern about slowing the flow of immigrants into into the country. But there's not consensus about the border wall. What there is consensus about is to have systems that what the, it's called the E-Verify system, where the focus is more on employers needing to verify the status uh, applicants. So, but all of this is kind of one big package because if you just start, if you turn on the verify system and there's still these millions of people who are in an undocumented state, then that would be very disruptive to the economy and people recognize that. Um, I mean, they respond to arguments along those lines. Um, that's how you can tell really how people are thinking. But if, but as a total package to move toward assimilation into a legal system, and it, that that is that total package is what people seem to uh, seem to want, and and for which there is um, bipartisan support. But I uh, never, I never get. I don't think people get issues get issues presented at all like this. Mm -hmm. They just asked, oh, are you pro or anti-abortion? Yeah. It's foolish because it ignores everything beneath it. Mm -hmm. And then when a bill comes to Congress, most people don't even know what's in it. Yes, and Why is uh, this not communicated? You know, yeah. are you for or against abortion? Why not instead say, here are three to five issues that, you know, surround abortion. Knowing them, what is your stance on these issues instead of just this one word that hides tons of nuance? Exactly. You know, are you for or against abortion? Is it's it's that's just really not the question. The the real question is, okay, what are the what are what we call the choice points here, and that are legislation. What are the proposals that are being considered in a very specific way? And we put them forward, and then we, have, you know, give the briefing, the pros and cons, and and people are able to make very precise, come to very precise conclusions. And then members of Congress can actually get input from their constituents. Now we all know that that the public is very frustrated with government. There's there's you know trust in government is is is, is low and it's been consistently low. Views of Congress are quite negative. And we've done uh, before we established this this method. We did a, a series of surveys and focus groups and so on, asking people why are you why are you so unhappy with government. And the essence of their response was that there is a kind of social contract that goes back to the founders that says that, that elected officials will serve the common good and will consult the people that they represent. Uh, not necessarily do exactly what they say, but consult them. And the perception is that's not what's happening, that they listen to special interests, they listen to big campaign donors, and they, they just really just don't listen to the people. And as a result, to they don't actually serve the common good of the people. They don't have confidence that that is happening. And when we probed you know, as to, well, what do you think would be helpful? What do you think was, is, is, could change the situation? Uh, a core idea that came, came out was, well, they should listen to the people more, but well, what about the fact that not everybody understands all the issues or what, 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 they're, what they're looking at? Well, they should explain it to them, right? It should somehow, 
and you know some a representative sample should get 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 a briefing about it and then they should hear what 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 those people have to say about it that should have more influence than whatever you know the first thought people have who haven't so that's uh, basically how we develop this uh uh, this method um, that it's really do you know um, and and this has this potential to to uh, um, restore this trust. We've also looked at well, what if uh, what if members of Congress or candidates, challengers to 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 incumbents, were to commit to listen to the people in this through these kinds of methods, and. Uh, um, uh, people had a very res positive response, more than four in 10, so that they would even cross party lines uh, to vote for a candidate who would make a commitment to listen to the people. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I mean, I don't know, it's no surprise. I never get asked anything. I'm sure <laughs> surveys go around, you know, periodically that you guys do and other people do, but I've never been asked once by a politician, what do you think about these issues or even been told what the issues are? Mm -hmm. They just act. So it's no wonder why people are not happy because, again, you may elect the person, but then they just do whatever the heck they want. They're not asking. They're not, you know, imagine if a candidate promised every week to meet with various people, you know, at least one person that makes up their constituency, you know, a business owner on week one, uh, an individual, uh, you know, worker on week two or whatever, and, and post that. Here's what they're saying. And what if they put out a list of here's the top issues that are before me? In the legislative body I'm a part of, would you guys please rank them in order of importance? Which ones do you want me to focus on? There's none of that. And if they had right. that and they made it more participatory, I think people would be a lot happier. Yes, and it, and it's it's also important though that that it's done systematically. I mean, you can there are members of Congress who will just send out an email and say, you know, think about this, and 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 the the people who respond or who write letters and so on. That you don't know if they're if they're a representative sample or if they're connected to a special interest or something like that. So it is important to do it in a in a systematic way so that you know that who you're really who you're really hearing from, and it's also um, important to give people information that's that's balanced. And I mean, sometimes there are some members of Congress with it who had might have trouble. Uh, presenting an issue in a balanced way, you know, because they they have a strong feeling about it. So it's probably better for some other people to express the present the issue. So it can be done systematically. I, I might add too that for your listeners, if you want to do something like this, you can go on our website, Voice of the People, vop.org, and you can go do the simulations yourself. And at the end of the at the end, you can. Um, um, pull together your recommendations and enter your address and then it just gets sent off to your to your members uh, your representatives in congress and that can all contribute to their understanding of of more of, a, of an understanding of the, of their constituents so and and members of congress can actually say hey you might want to go try one of those simulations there are also people who do uh a, a new kind of town hall meeting where they get a representative sample of people to come to the meeting. Uh, usually it's done electronically and, uh, but then the, and they also brief them before they come. Uh, this is done out of a group by a group in, at Ohio state university. And that, that can be very effective as well so that they get a, again, a, a, a balanced 
perspective on on their you know their their constituents because they you know the the people who who contact them are not always you know are, are not a so representatives that have tried this do they say oh well that was a fun experiment and back to business as usual or have any of them embraced it and say let's make this a regular occurrence where we do this periodically um we we have done some with, with some um, members of congress and 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 some of them have repeated and expressed interest in doing it on a more consistent basis and we're kind of building up our resources to uh, to do that more regularly uh, and and inviting more members to to do that kind of thing what are what are some other um programs that you're working on that are very important to the organization you know ones that you think are going to Again, going forward, be very important in shaping policy debates. Well, we've we've done work on uh, criminal justice. Did one on uh, criminal records. There's sometimes people who have have been charged with a crime, but were actually uh, never who were originally charged, but then the charges were dropped, so they were never even tried. Um, and uh, uh, that's still on their their. Uh, um, on their record, and it's, it interferes with their getting employment and so on, and housing and so on. And there have been proposals to 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 change that. And and there was clear bipartisan support for for making those kinds of changes. The um, um, there have been um, uh, there was a a bill that uh, for re reforming uh, it was called the the First Step Act. That you know how there were these a lot of laws that required meant these minimum sentences or you know, like three strikes and you're out those kinds of uh, uh, where the where the judges were given very little latitude and um, there was a, a a bill in Congress called the First Step Act and there was a kind of nervousness about oh, gosh if I support this bill am I going to look weak on uh, crime and uh, and we did this survey that found strong um, bipartisan support for for this uh, uh, for this bill. And so the Judiciary Committee, headed by Charles Grassley, took the survey and put it in a press release and sent it out, and, um, and it ultimately did pass. Uh, I don't know how strong, how big a role the, the, the survey played, but, it, but I think it played some. So that's an example. Another, another example that's really interesting is Social Security. You know, with if you have if you look at standard polls and you ask people, do you want to do something about you know the the fact that you know so the social security fund is going to run out of money, right? And will and and thus benefits will have to be lowered. And you say, do you, do you think something should be done about it? People say, oh yeah, okay. Now in a separate poll question, you say, do you want to lower social security benefits? And people go, no, not really. And then you say, well, do you want to raise Social Security taxes? And people, well, no, not really. And then their tendency is to say, oh, well, the public's just the big baby, right? They don't seem to understand that, you know, there's money in and money out. Um, so what we did is we said, okay, here's the, the problem with Social Security. It's running out of funds. And if, if uh, in, 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 in its uh, trust fund, and if nothing is done, their benefits will have to be cut by about a quarter. So here are some options that that can be done um, to, and here's how much each one helps, and here's an argument for and against each one. So they go through this whole thing, and then in the end, it's put in a big spreadsheet, and they're able to say what they want to do. 
And as they go along, as they make their choices, a little bubble follows them and tells them the impact of their choices on the, the uh, Social Security shortfall. Um, so what happens then? Well, in that case, it turns out people do solve the problem. They do um, eliminate at least most of the Social Security shortfall. And there's a tremendous amount of bipartisan agreement about what needs to be done. So there is this tendency to assume that the Social, social Security is this third rail. And if you just come out and say, okay, I want to, I want to cut benefits, you know, or I want to re raise the retirement age, you know, people go, what? Um, but when it's put together as a total package and they hear that other people, people like them, have gone through this process and here's the conclusion they've come to about what needs to be done, people tend to say, and we've, we've, you know, we've surveyed on this, where we said, okay, here's what a, a sample of people concluded after they went through this the whole long policymaking simulation process. Now, here's their conclusion. What do you think about it? There tends to be very strong support for those uh, proposals. So that has the potential for creating a kind of political cover for um, members of Congress who who want to take steps to deal with some of these uh, political problems that are that are that are sensitive, you know, that, uh, um, that people care about a lot, and and they're just afraid of doing anything to 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 get in the crossfire of that of that consideration. Well, I mean, the issues are not presented in the right way. Just hot hot buttons or you know single points are presented or they say oh you know my opponent uh, hates this or doesn't want that or how are people supposed to make a decision if it's deliberately mis misrepresented and then the media seems to back that up so it's uh, i don't know how anyone can make a proper decision it's just and it seems the intent of again media and politicians is not to present an issue for consideration but to make it look like it and just you know pick a point or two that they know will inflame their base Mm -hmm. So they can support it, vote for it, mm -hmm. and that it's like the the all of the incentives in the electoral process are to take some piece of the whole picture and pump it up and and uh, get people worked up about it. Uh, it's not to step back and look at all the different parts at the same time. But this raises the question: you know, is it viable to for candidates to run on? not doing uh, this kind of fragmented, getting people just up approach, but to say, hey, I'm going to listen to the people. We're going to look at both sides of the issue. I'm going to, uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to encourage people to get informed. I'm going to take in their input and so on. And we've done quite a lot of surveys now and found that it is very, very possible. It is viable. And, and people very much like candidates who would take that approach or representatives who would use that approach. And we've tested also attacks, possible attacks on those candidates who would do that, saying, you know, attacks like, well, they're just listening, you know, uh, to people who don't really know anything. They're putting their finger to the wind. They're not showing leadership and so on. And those arguments do not do very well. While the counter arguments like it's very important to listen to the people. This is the, this is a principle that this country was founded on. Uh, the people have some um, basic wisdom. Um, those kinds of arguments do much better. So it's, uh, it, it, it is really uh, uh, politically viable uh, to 
to for for candidates and members to um, engage the public in this way. Yeah, I, I haven't heard a candidate, let's say like abortion, you know, I, I haven't heard a candidate say, my opponent is focusing on one issue. If I'm elected, here are at least five different subsets of it that I would like to address with everyone's input. I don't want to just make this a one-off or, you know, try to de delude you that this is the only issue. It's, it's complicated. And these are a lot of the sub-issues that I see. So again, if you elect me, I would like to present the sub-issues and not just say yes or no. Ugh. And mm -hmm. I think because my opponent is giving it to you in that way, what does that tell you about how they plan to solve it versus how I plan to solve it? Why doesn't someone say something like that? If, if your research is showing that that's appealing, why wouldn't we see that? And even if we did see it, I wonder if the media would, I'm sure they would just probably twist it, you know, mess up the whole thing. I don't know. I just haven't seen anything like that. You know, I, I don't know if you have. But part of the problem is, is, is I mean, even if, if a member of Congress wanted to consult their constituents, they, they, they don't really have very good tools for doing it. And uh, so, but those tools are now beginning to become more available. And, uh, um, but historically, it's, they, they have not been, um, been very available. Uh, and, and, and hopefully more of them will use it and will we'll use those kinds of tools and will be rewarded for it and they'll perceive it that way and there'll be that movement. It, it, there is this tendency to assume that a member of Congress is almost like running to be king. You know, like I have the answer to everything. I know what's the right thing. And here is my 29 point agenda on every issue. And I said, I've got it all figured out. I got all the answers, right? And when um, when there are debates, the, the the moderator says, you know, what's your answer for this? What's your answer for that? And in fact, they don't have all the answers, and they know that. And we all know they don't have all the answers. They may have some ideas and some values and priorities and things like that. But a lot of decisions are 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 there are trade offs. Whatever we do, and there's and there's also this. They're also supposed to get up there and say. This is the answer. It's unequivocal. It's only good, and you know, and the opposite um, proposal is nothing but bad. And to not enter into this, um, you know, this this more nuanced discussion. Now, in that in that frame, then the member of Congress can have meaningful discussions with their constituents and hear their uh, constituents in a frame where they you understand that there is no simple answer. Uh, and that there are trade-offs no matter what we do. And then there, it's just a question of making decisions about what those trade-offs will be. And then, and then when some of the downsides come, then it will, um, when it, people will be able to handle it better. You know, I mean, when during uh, uh, when the pandemic was really bad, there was a lot of public spending that, that uh, stimulated the economy and prevented a recession. But now we're having some downside on with with it leading to some inflation, and but these things tend to be seen as this fragmented. They're not seen as related to each other. Uh, decisions we we made here had some downside effect. They had positive effects, but they also had some downside effects. And all of these things need to be to be viewed in a in a in a more coherent way, rather than just like oh, inflation bad, bad leadership, you know. Uh, rather than than it being a function of decisions that were made, that that were considered hmm. sides. Okay, so what's the best way, uh, Stephen, to to get resources from 
you know, or your organization, where can people go to find out more, to try out some of the methods you're talking about and to see what you're, you're discussing and go deeper? The, um, the, the website is vop.org, Voice of the People. Uh, I should just clarify a little bit. There's a program at the University of Maryland called the Program for Public Consultation, which is part of the School of Public Policy. And it develops the simulations and then runs them as surveys nationally and in, in some cases in, in particular states and districts. Now, then Voice of the People has put those uh, simulations online. Uh, and so you can go online and, and go through the process and come to your conclusion about what should be done to um, regard to social security or criminal justice or climate change, immigration. And then you can then forward your conclusions to, to your members of Congress. And these are conclusions about specific legislation that they, are, that they will probably be voting for uh, um, in, in the not too distant future. So that's uh, um, uh, just go to the section under under policymaking simulations, and you can also then see what other people, uh, uh, other citizens, uh, conclude on, on on these issues as well. Okay, very good. Well, Stephen, thanks for coming. It's been a good call, and I appreciate uh, your time and your interest. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Finding Genius podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.